Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, it's such a pleasure to welcome onto the show Lisa Pierce, who is the chief executive of British Wheelchair Basketball. And today we're talking about para-sports. And we're going to specifically focus on the challenge of attracting commercial investment in para and disability sports outside of the Paralympic Games. It's a topic I find fascinating. I plead a bit of ignorance and I'm really keen to learn more. And we're also going to hear about uh, the new Women's Premier League that they're coming up with, which is a world first uh, Women's Wheelchair Basketball Professional League. So really keen to hear about that as well and the journey that's still ahead of them. Before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, we are talking with Lisa Pierce today. She's the Chief Executive Officer of British Wheelchair Basketball. Lisa, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk to you about all the great things that are going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. I used to run a foundation really focused on the power of sport as well. And so keen to hear about all the work you're doing. Why don't we start by finding out a little bit about British Wheelchair Basketball? What's the organization all about? Yeah, sure. So British Wheelchair Basketball is the national governing body across the United Kingdom for wheelchair basketball, which essentially means that we are responsible for every aspect of what you see in the sport, from the programs that go into schools, into communities, into clubs, um, all the way through into kind of the, the talent pathway and then the support and development of the international team. So whether that be the representation of the GB men and women, uh, Olympics, uh, Paralympics, Worlds, uh, com Commonwealth, etc. So it's uh, it's a really big agenda, and um, and we also do all the regulations for the sport. Right. How long have you been around? Uh, so it's just over three years now. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a hell of a transformational journey for us that we've been on, uh, but so much exciting things to come, um, and we've got some really fantastic foundations to build upon. Excellent, excellent. And I've been doing some research. I understand in in terms of Great Britain and. Uh, and wheelchair basketball, the country is a bit of a powerhouse on the international stage when it comes to uh, wheelchair basketball. Yeah, we have incredible athletes. So our men are currently the reigning world champions and European champions, and the women are the silver world medalists um, and European uh, silver medalists. So the teams are really excited about the prospect and opportunity at the Paralympic Games in Tokyo um, as they're preparing at the moment in uh, bio bubble camps as we all go through the world of COVID. Um, so they're really excited to be able to represent their country and their nation to um, to basically inspire others to to get involved in sport. Great. Now, how many how many players or people participate in, in wheelchair basketball here in the UK? 
Yeah, so currently we have about 17,000 people that play wow. basketball. Yeah, we actually have a, a latent demand of another 70,000. So earlier this year, we launched a, a really exciting campaign. It's a four-year campaign around um, doubling participation, which is in called Inspire a Generation, mm-hmm. which our athletes are supporting, which is going to be training a whole new workforce of community activators for wheelchair basketball. Um, but what, what's really unknown about our sport is that out of those 17,000 people that play, 21% are non-disabled. So we genuinely are the the uh, the sport that's inclusive for non-disabled people, which is really important when we talk about society and equality, diversity and inclusion. Tell us a little bit more about that. When you say 21% are non-disabled, who play um, wheelchair basketball? Well, it's really important, isn't it, that we all want to play sport with our friends or family um, and to be able to do that in a really kind of fun uh, fun way. And there are very few sports where everybody can kind of play side by side. And the great thing about wheelchair basketball is whether or not you transfer from your day chair into your uh, sports wheelchair or you or I, for example, just walk um, walk into our sports wheelchair and, and take part and sit in that and compete on the court. So. The court size is the same as it is in the running game. Uh, it's the same hoop height, so it's significantly wow. harder than the running game. Um, and the only difference, there are two real differences, which are there's two pushes to the chair to one bounce. And then there's something called classification, which is uh, essentially based on the severity of your lower limb impairment, you're given a point uh, or points allocation. And then, so for example, if I was playing, I'd be a five pointer because I'm non-disabled. Um, and then you can have a maximum of 16 uh, points on court at any one time. So everybody plays together and it's all fair and it's a level playing field. So it's uh, it's really dynamic. It's energetic. It's fun. Um, and it's a great thing to do, whether you're in a, you know, a ball court in a in a park or you're playing indoors in a kind of basketball uh, ready made facility. So it's, it's a great sport. Very cool. Very, very cool. And so three years earlier, what, prior to your uh your your launch what was going on in the uk uh with regards to this yeah so before you know um wheelchair basketball had had a huge kind of growth in the lead up to the london um 2012 paralympic games um and then really it kind of it very much kind of stagnated and didn't really do the development and opportunity that that was there so so what we kind of focused on over the last two years is really making sure that we're reconnecting with our communities we're taking the data and the insight to be able to to build out the opportunities and bring wheelchair basketball into communities for more people to have the opportunity to play. And then we're creating an amazing uh, environment for athletes to thrive, not just survive. And that's about giving them all the support, personalizing the packages around them and creating wheelchair basketball as part of their journey, whether they want to study and work alongside uh, their wheelchair basketball career or or, or whether or not they they literally just want to um, want to play uh, professionally uh, either here in the UK now for women mm. um, or internationally um, for for the men and and uh, in a co-ed team if you're you're a woman um, in in Europe. Great, and you do have co-ed teams. I was looking at that. That's very good. Yeah. So in the national league structure, so we obviously run competition structures from grassroots through to local leagues all the way through to the national league structure. That is co-ed all the way through to Premier League. So men and women have always played side by side, but obviously when they represent the nations, they they play independently. The difference when you play in a co-ed environment is the women don't play the same roles that they would in an international environment. So and they also don't play with the same ball size. So the ball is bigger. Um, in a co-ed environment and for the men than it is in the women's or female environment internationally. So the co-ed environment is fantastic to go through in a structure, but when you certainly hit, hit that elite end, it's really important that women have the opportunity to, 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 to thrive in their own female or female environment in the same way that 
men can do so. So that's one of the things that we've been focusing on to build out um, the opportunity of uh, professionalising uh, the sport here in the UK and also then attracting some of the best men and women from around the world to come and compete. You probably would have seen that actually if you look at the audiences, the global audiences for the Paralympic Games um, in Rio was 4.1 billion. Um, and that was a, like a 127% increase since 2004. And that, that had coverage in over you know, 150 countries worldwide. And then you kind of go, well, why can't we create the professional domestic league environment that you see in other sports like football, cricket, tennis, hockey, all of these other environments where you can actually then uh, go and support your team week in, week out in arenas, have match day experiences, go as a family, really enjoy that environment and actually, you know, really support um, that, that that team that makes a difference. You know, you're based in London. Um, we've got uh, London Phoenix is the new franchise for the Women's uh, Premier League in London huge opportunities for for communities to get behind and, and visibility of parasport is really important because you need to see it to be it and it's really important to challenge people's perceptions around disability and actually create an inclusive environment where people can 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 thrive um, so that's what we're doing with the uh, the creation of the world's first women's professional league um, and the women will lay the foundations here for the men over the next three years. Well, then we'll bring in the men's franchises uh, post Paris uh, Games in 2024. Excellent. So tell me about this league then. Is it active already? You mentioned uh, London Phoenix. Yeah, so we've announced the four big first franchises. So there's London Phoenix, there's Cardiff Met Archers, there's Worcester Wolves, and then there's Loughborough Lightning. So these are four um, professional franchises that are actually owned by the universities that host them. And we're seeing a combined investment of just over 1.4 million over the next uh, four years for this. And we've done this in COVID as well. So this really shows the appetite and the opportunity that's available for, for Parasport. And what, what, what currently is happening is the players are being recruited. So uh, each of the universities are going out to draft in the players, some of the, the best Obviously, uh, women in the world are here in the UK, but they're also going out to then uh, cherry pick from the rest of the world too, to uh, to sign all of those um, athletes uh, just before uh, the uh, the Tokyo Games, and then the league goes live in December. So there'll be some big team announcements. We're just recruiting for the the coaches at the moment. So each of these four franchises will have these elite full time um, wheelchair basketball coaches, which will also be mentored by in my opinion, the best coach in the world, which is Hadj Banyer. He's the GB uh, technical uh, coach director for us and for the men and women's teams. And so he's going to be running an accelerated uh, coaching development program for those coaches over the next two years to really help them grow and learn to create the right environments for the athletes. So the athletes are being offered scholarships, they're being offered different packages, accommodation, obviously different investments too. So it is really exciting. Like I said, it's the first in the world. Um, made possible by really um, bringing together like-minded uh, organisations, partnerships um, that are really authentic in the belief that equality, inclusion and diversity um, and sports offering is, is really important. And we need to bring an environment where we can grow domestic audiences for power of sport, which will then in turn build the commercials, which then, of course, in turn will help us be able to create more opportunities within communities to be able to have people to participate in this awesome sport. Yeah. And let me ask you about those partnerships. Um, so tell me a little bit about the partnerships. I know that, um, well, I know you 
checking out your website also, you have some partners out there. They're not the household names, right? They're not the household corporate names that you'd see assigned with uh, with some of the, the, the premier um, sports out there. Give us a little bit of a flavor for um, what the state of affairs is with your partnerships right now. What are some of the challenges that you've been facing? What are some of the... Um, the things you're thinking about that might enable you to to get in deeper there with uh, with some of the higher brand partners. Yeah, so a lot you've already identified. A lot of our partnerships are very much kind of uh, UK based. They're very much uh, quite niche market spaces too, um, and we've built those relationships on a general shared values basis about the importance of their drive to be able to have an authentic relationship and a belief in a difference within. Um, basically inclusion and diversity. That's how we've been able to draw in the investment opportunities. The challenge we experience, if you look at any other sports sponsorship model is that it's really about reach um, and then the commercials that return on that. That's really difficult when you're um, in a developing sport when you sit outside of a framework that is non-professionalized and doesn't have the broadcast uh, environments that we do now coming in the UK um, to, to, to be able to have that kind of week in, week out kind of response. So we've really had to kind of flip the traditional model of what you can do if you just don't have the reach. I used to work in tennis. I used to work in football here in the UK. Um, and obviously that has huge reach and huge scope. And that's why you have the big brand names coming in and being a part of that. So when we built the relationships and partnerships and the four-year deals that we have with our, with our current commercial sponsors, it's been really about how we are helping them go on a journey, both for their workforce and also for their wider consumer base about having authenticity around um, equality and inclusion agenda um, and the difference that they can make which is huge to an organization like ours because we are at the stage of the infant through into kind of growth and professionalization their investment can mean huge future generational change um, so they've come on board on that basis and then we've actually also try to reach out to kind of wider brands and that's kind of the the big the big challenge to come isn't it you see the huge big sponsorships that come in to the uh, the paralympics and that's where all kind of the money is 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 in uh, or in the uh, what they call the national paralympic committees but actually it's the governing bodies that prepare the teams it's the governing bodies that build the participation infrastructure that build the uh, the support for the volunteers the coaches through so how do we create the same ecosystem of investment and reinvestment that you see in football, you see in tennis, um, as, as two examples uh, for wheelchair basketball? Without doubt, if you look at some of the statistics that sit out there, you know, the uh, Global Economic uh, Economics of Disability report showcased that there's an audience available of like 1.3 billion people and if you look at them the friends and family opportunity connection to that that has an eight trillion dollar potential market um, of how you can reach out to kind of consumer brands to to engage in a more inclusive environment a inclusive offering but at the same point only four percent of brands internationally will offer something that is specifically focused on in being inclusive for disabled people and you go well how is this even possible so how do we get to a place where we can draw in and bring people a part of the journey and make the difference and build an infrastructure that creates because it's a chicken and egg moment isn't it you can't grow and put in all of these things in place without the commercial investment but then you need the economics and reach to do so 
But isn't it about changing the sponsorship model around? Is it more around partnership authenticity and that brands actually don't look at reach, but they think about what that brand value relationship is and the difference in how they can talk about the impact that they're making and why that's important to them and why an inclusive brand you know, you look at a world that's just gone through COVID and we can see the stark inequalities that exist globally and, and here in the UK. There's a lot of work to be done about as, as a world that we need to become uh, more inclusive, more focused on addressing the inequality and actually having a more fairer society. Um, and sport's a fantastic vehicle to, to have that journey in and to show um, sport in a light that is fully inclusive and is really quite an incredible thing to watch. It's really dynamic and, and really engaging. And our athletes are incredible both on and off the court about how you can actually have that narrative and how you can have that brand authenticity about being able to reach out to, to new to new places and actually being a champion for equality, inclusion and diversity, not just how do I have my brand reach mm. and, and give my financial return. Because actually those are the things, there's some interesting insight that's going on in America and university institutions measuring that kind of authenticity piece now. And I do hope that those metrics will come in so that some of those bigger brands will come come to the table here in the UK um, and, and do it first. And it always requires somebody to, to take that leap, that moment of going, we can make a difference here. This is really important to us. We can do this in the same way that we said we're going to create the first women's professional league in the world. We said we're going to do it. So we've done it and we've built the partnerships around it to make that possible. Um, now it's about some brands being more responsive, being more ambitious, being courageous and going, actually, we can shape the future of this. And actually, as a result, then have a huge impact on creating an inclusive society. Mm. And you mentioned the um, you mentioned the Paralympics is getting an increasing amount of financial support and sponsorship interest. A question, a couple of questions that follow on from that is what's the relationship between uh, the Paralympics and the national governing bodies with the various sports, uh, whether it's basketball or, or, or other sports? And then also, is there any sort of international governing body for this, um, just like you might have for golf or you might have for tennis and so forth? Yeah, yeah, there is. So the International Federation for Wheelchair Basketball is the International Federation for Wheelchair Basketball, so IWBF. Um, so they are the uh, federation that then supports the sport globally, and and, and we support them developing in um, developing nations around the world to kind of bring wheelchair basketball to some of the more kind of underdeveloped countries. So so yes, they're in place, and yes, of course, they uh, certainly receive some financial support from the International Paralympic Committee around um, being able to send officials and run the, the kind of wheelchair basketball tournament um, that's there. But of course, the Paralympics doesn't have the same level of commercials that sits for the Olympic Games. So what you see in the commercials that then throw through into the sport um, in Olympics is not the same for Paralympics. And then what you have is that we as a sport four years round um, are the environment that create everything for athletes, prepare the teams. And then for essentially six weeks of the year um, at Paralympics, we become Para-GB and we become an extension of our National Paralympic Committee for those six weeks that then have the commercial rights to the, the Paralympic Games. That's the only bit that they, they do have. They don't have obviously world Europeans 
uh, Commonwealths, etc. But uh, that is when we we come a part of that journey. And so they help fund the environment that everybody goes into for those um, those six weeks. An amazing team at Para, Paralympics GB. Uh, we're very fortunate, but the economics aren't there for that to to, to kind of go through uh, to for us to receive any investment through Paralympics GB mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through the Paralympic Games. So again, it's an underdeveloped model, huge scope of development. I mean, if you go back to those statistics that we talked about around the 1.4 billion viewership worldwide for Rio, and that was 127% increase uh, since 2004, you can see that there's huge market growth potential for development, and that will continue as we go into Paris in 24, LA in 28, and and so on and so forth. So there's real opportunities still uh, underdeveloped, but where you get the whole sport to develop and you can see this in tennis and you can see this in football is that you need domestic world-class elite week in week out competition to grow audiences to grow relationships to to grow fan bases so it can't just be once every four years and that's where those professional leagues are really really important so that you can get to know the athletes you've got the opportunity to build the economics where you can go and have you know as you're buying tickets you've got broadcast deals domestically that are bringing in revenues there are then team sponsorship models that then prop up the player investment uh, packages that go on alongside it those are the things that make sports sustainable um and those are the things that we're on the journey for at the moment but of course you want some brands that are going to come and uh, come up to the table and go do you know what we're going to go first with you and we're going to come on this journey and then we're going to show the rest of the world how you can do it in parasport i guess there is a bit of that chicken and egg uh conundrum that you you, you referenced a little bit earlier in terms of the community outreach then or well maybe that's not the the right term but in terms of the ability for wheelchair basketball to be an option available for a school child anywhere in the UK. What is that looking like right now? Uh, because I think that's exactly right. The, the minute that people can actually see this as part and parcel of every day, that it's not some sort of uh, insurmountable hurdle that if, you, if, you, if you're in a wheelchair and you want to play basketball, you, you have to be very creative about the research you're doing in order to find some place to do this. How do you make sure that, um, that that's an option for pretty much anyone, anywhere? Yeah, so that's that's the program that we've literally launched in January, which is Inspire a Generation. So that comes across um, from working with community organizations in communities right across the UK, where we're upskilling individuals, community champions, really. So they're not sports people, they're just great community leaders that we give them all then the sports skills to then bring wheelchair basketball to their community. We've got school packs and training resources for uh, teachers and teaching assistants to be able to bring wheelchair basketball also into the school environment and we work very closely with the Youth Sports Trust here in the UK as well to make sure that we're offering that we've got school games coming up so UK school games also has wheelchair basketball in it um, so people can prepare teams for that so that's really exciting and we're we're hopeful that'll go um, ahead um, at the end of August uh, later this summer. So there is a huge infrastructure now that is coming in. So you can go to inspiregeneration.com and you can sign up. And that's how you can find out as a parent. There's new courses. We, um, Our royal uh, patron, Her Royal Highness, the Countess of Wessex, was actually launched the programme, the community sign up for us uh, in London, uh, literally only kind of four weeks ago, where she was in the chair herself um, and was uh, participating with a group of uh, young people, fully fully inclusive, um, experiencing wheelchair basketball, some new courses coming. 
coming uh, this summer. So when you see the games happening, you'll then be able to sign up to go and have that experience as a family or with your friends to go and experience wheelchair basketball. And this is a four year program. It's got one point five two five million investment over the next four years through the support of national lottery um, and sport england so we're very fortunate to be able to unlock that investment because we have such a huge market opportunity to to grow we might have seventeen thousand people that play today but we know that seventy thousand more people would play if it was in their community at the right time in the right style um in the right environment uh to play wheelchair basketball and that's what inspire generation is going to be doing for us over the next not only the, the obviously the next uh three months as we do the big preparation for for the paralympics and big visibility there but of course the next four years as well that's amazing what's the website address just to make sure we we everybody gets that yeah so it's www.inspireageneration.com Great. And if anybody's listening to this and they're keen to get involved, keen to see how we can make sure that uh, that wheelchair basketball is available near them, that's the place to go? Yeah, definitely. If you can't find one in your community, you can register your interest. So you'll be the first one to hear about when it's coming to your community um, because we'll put on additional courses to upskill people in your community to be able to do wheelchair basketball. So, yes, yeah, it's a super exciting time for wheelchair basketball. Not only are we achieving, obviously, on the international stage, but also the work that we're doing domestically to grow the sports participation. It literally is the uh, the golden age of, of wheelchair basketball to come. Excellent. Now, I know... And, you know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember, say, say the 84 Olympics and, uh, and moving forward from there. The, the Paralympics are definitely becoming something that people are very excited about. And even when I was here in 2012, there was a real, you know, electric feel to the whole thing. Yeah, um, we're, we got tickets. Let's go check out the Paralympics. And the direction of travel is, seems really great. Uh, question to you, and I don't, I don't have an answer, but... Uh, what about integrating the Paralympics and the Olympics? I mean, wh why must it be two separate events? It's sort of, you know, in, in, in our minds, even the way you and I are talking about it right now, there's the Olympics and the Paralympics. Would it be a, a com complete madness to incorporate the two? I think it's a great question. And I think um, the answer that usually comes back when people ask that question is because of the logistics of the size. So I think there's something like 16,000 athletes compete uh, for the Olympic Games. And it happens within a kind of like a three week period of when you kind of build in to go into the village. And then on top of that, you'd have another 8,000 for um, for uh, the Paralympic Games. So can, can a, um, a host nation accommodate that scale of um, investment and opportunity and all those things at the same time is a question. It's not to say it shouldn't be considered and there isn't the opportunity for that in the future. And, and if we talk about an inclusive society, why not? And you can already see the work that's going on. And I think if you see Commonwealth Games, so in, in Birmingham um, in 2022, Commonwealth Games is coming. Um, and what's really exciting about that is that it's an integrated program. So it has um, a number of uh, events that will happen for Olympic, uh, for the, the equivalent of an Olympic sport or an able-bodied sport to disability and power athletes also competing together in the same competition structure. Um, and then obviously, so there's still identity because it is important to have identity and it's important that you in that environment are not seen as the uh, the lesser um, of the two in, in that environment. So they're given the same weighting and standing, uh, but you'll see that wheelchair basketball three on three will also be in the program with uh, uh, scheduled in the same environment that is going to happen for the uh, the running game three on three as well. 
So uh, that, that is important. And I think it is really important that people can see that then uh, the sports are for everyone. And you've got that with para-athletics and athletics. You've got a para-cycling, cycling. So you can see that happening on a Commonwealth Games level. Obviously, it's a much smaller uh, international event. But obviously, I'd love to see a fully integrated uh, games for everybody. I want to see a fully integrated and inclusive society where people don't have to experience barriers um, to achieving their potential and that we're all creating an environment where everybody can thrive and have the same opportunities. Uh, sport is to lead the way in that and I think that there are some signals where that's already happening but I think there's still a long way to go. Hmm. Well if we can develop a vaccine in 12 months I think we could possibly overcome the logistical hurdles you're referring to and even I have some ideas percolating in the back of my head of what that could look like. Um, Tell me a little bit about you and your 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 professional trajectory, your personal narrative. How did you end up where you are today? Yeah, great question. I mean, um, I, I kind of kicked off. I've been working like full time since I was like seventeen for for kind of personal personal reasons. Um, and I started off back in a leisure centre uh, where you get an opportunity to see loads of different sports. I've always played sport myself, so always loved sport. It's been where I've got my friendship group, part of my development. And um, so for for me, um, I had the opportunity then to go and work for uh, a sports inclusion charity called NACRO, which okay. is about how do you do diversionary activities uh, for at-risk young people um, and, and crime reduction elements to that. So really enjoyed that and absolutely loved it. And then uh, went and had the opportunity to work for a local authority when you can kind of place make and you can show that scale across multi-sport environments, working with adult social care, working with day services, working with public health. All of those things are really important because sport has a broader a broader narrative. So kind of went on that journey. And I was very fortunate when I was there that the uh, the uh, council I was working for funded my uh, master's in business administration. So I went and did that, uh, working full time and doing all of those um, other bits and bobs. So that certainly kind of created a bit of a work ethic for me. And then I had the opportunity to go into, um, into kind of sport specific. So I joined the LTA. Um, and was the head of region uh, for London and the South East, which holds like a third of all tennis participation in the UK. Um, and then I, I basically led the team that created the Davis Cup Legacy Programme Tennis for Kids and the Trophy Tour. And then after that, I was like, well, we've won Davis Cup and we've done all of those things and we engaged 10,000 kids. Where next? Football was always my sport. And then uh, I became the CEO, the first female CEO for the London Football Association. Um, and that's where I was before I um, before I joined wheelchair basketball. Uh, and there we certainly did some wide um, wide changes and transformational change there, both for engagement um, in um, our wider football community and having more representation, but also transforming that board, which is literally the most inclusive board in, in grassroots sport. One of the things I'm most proud of and probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life uh, to do that in, in football. Um, and then I had the opportunity to join wheelchair basketball. And so equality, inclusion and diversity has always been at the heart of what what's important to me. And it was I felt like there was huge scope um, to actually really build the narrative of para sport and actually to make those commercials uh, work domestically and, and how we can have visibility and how that can be transformative not only here in the UK but the rest of the world and and that's what we've been focusing on over the last uh, two years and obviously had the opportunity to launch it earlier this year so yeah we're really excited. Excellent. Some great organizations, some great sports, obviously big sports. In terms of success for the next 10 years um, for wheelchair basketball where do you where would you like to see things um, in 10 years time? 
So I think definitely that we've already achieved those 70,000 people have had the opportunity to play. So maybe there's another 70,000 out there that we've inspired to, to get involved, that we've built the commercials of the best men and women's uh, professional league in the in the world for wheelchair basketball, which has got domestic audiences week in, week out. And that broadcast is being sold to other countries around the world. Um, that we've got the, the best environment for our athletes at every, every age group and that they continue to perform and achieve international medical success. So, and, and I think that we've then influenced and changed society around um, understanding how important equality, inclusion and diversity is. And it's just, it just becomes a part of how we do stuff. And I think that's really important to me is that um, it, it's about literally changing public perceptions um, changing brands perceptions and actually making sure that we've got a fairer society here in the uk well i mean here's to your success making sure that your objectives there for those next 10 years actually materialize and for those people listening to to get in touch and uh and and get involved a key takeaway for our listeners any any words of wisdom or insight you want to share uh something that they'll take away with them after they finish listening to today's episode I think that you can, we can all make a difference. And I think it's really important that we are doing that kind of like that personal response, how we can change and make our society more inclusive, engaged, and how we can uh, change the day for, for people that are, you know, don't have the same opportunities as everybody else. So please, 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 uh, if, if we all make a difference and we all make a commitment to, to making change happen, then genuinely we can change the world. So uh, let's do it together, eh? Excellent, excellent. And on that incredibly positive note, Lisa, really, thank you very much for taking the time joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, learning from you, and also it's triggered a little bit of curiosity in me to, uh, to see how we might be able to get involved. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for joining us today. You've been listening to Lisa Pierce, Chief Executive of British Wheelchair Basketball. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues about this show as well. It makes a big difference. And thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week.